Welcome to Radio Trivia Podcast Edition. This is episode 126, and returning after probably only like a dozen episodes, but like two years, is is, <laughs> is Jonathan Metz. Hi. I don't think it's been that long. Well, we certainly, I think you were on the live uh, episode, I suppose, for oh, the charity was, yeah. Maybe that's throwing me off. Well, it's good to be back, and congratulations on reaching 126. Big milestone. <laughs> I'm not quite. I think you're one past. We've been around for a while, just not that many episodes lately. Mm. Anyway, we've got a great lineup here. Um, I think a lot of good songs uh, in the queue here. We're going to play video game music. Yes, we are. We're going to play video game music, and you're going to like it. And if you don't like yeah. it, then, well, just turn off this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go.
about starting off with the hardest selection? I was that was uh, glitzy and victorious. It made me feel like I was in Vegas and things were going really well. Ah, ah. So total uh. fantasy. Sounded like uh, the music went underwater at some point. That might have just been Skype. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the bonus question for this game. What classic power-up made its return in this sequel?
I'll give you listeners a little hint. It's a Mario game. Yeah, there have been quite a few hints already. It's Mario Kart 7. It is. 3DS. And I, I was hoping people would at least be unclear on which Mario Kart it was <laughs> from the first two songs. They're both uh, basically reprises of songs in at least one other Mario Kart game. Mm. Yeah, uh, I barely played this game. I, I think I played it at E3 and that's about it. I think it is one of the forgotten Mario Karts along with Super Circuit. Um, it, it came out, people liked it, but then it seemed like people didn't really play it for that long, and it didn't stay in the conversation. It's not one of those games that you hear about people going back to and they keep playing it and they put 300 hours into it. And the way you do hear that stuff about Mario Kart DS and Mario Kart Wii especially, I mean, yeah, those were, you know, two much more popular systems than the current ones, but... Uh, Seven did. I mean, for me, I felt like I played it for two or three weeks. I did a lot of the single player stuff. I played online some, although I, I've never found playing Mario Kart online to be the most engaging uh, online multiplayer game. You know, it's like it's it doesn't feel that much different than playing against the computer, I guess. Yeah. Except for except for uh, you play the same track over and over again because people always vote for Maka Woohoo. <laughs> And, uh, and it's really hard to win because people take shortcuts that I either don't understand or don't want to glitch the game to perform. So, well, uh, having voice chat in-game would really help, I think, a lot. I mean, especially if you're playing amongst friends. Yeah, it would make me more, more excited to actually go through the effort to set up friend matches because you can't really do that very well from within this game. I don't know if uh, Mario Kart 8 is going to be improved in that aspect, but as we record this, we are getting ready for Mario Kart 8. In fact, I'm sure by the time this comes out, it probably still won't come out. Um, Nintendo allowed reviews way in advance of the game's actual release date. It's a pretty strange move, although I think there's a method to the madness. Um, but yeah, I mean, by the time people hear this, they're probably already going to have been exposed to a lot of opinions on Mario Kart 8, a ton of information, practically everything there is to know about the game. But for this series in particular, I think a lot of the, you know, a lot of the evaluation for myself comes in actually playing it, getting the feel for it. And with 7, I guess I like the track designs for the most part. I didn't really like the underwater stuff too much. That that was one of the new features. Uh, I did like finding the coins in the levels, and that's the answer to the trivia question. This was the ret- big return, much anticipated, of the coins in the Grand Prix and the, the multiplayer race modes, and that they had been around, they had been gone since, I think, Super Circuit. So it was like three games without the coins being there on the track, and they weren't in 64 either. Right. Um, yeah, and the coins let you go faster. So they've come and gone, come and gone. But uh, they, it, it does seem like they're going to stick around for a while, at least they're in eight. And uh, they are, again, kind of the way that you unlock different custom parts for your for building out your cart, which I think is kind of an interesting twist on the formula. Um, it doesn't really change the way you play because you would want to get coins anyway that make you go faster. But uh, it does feel like uh, it's a different way to unlock bonus content. But I actually, one reason I, I wanted to play Mario Kart 7 is because lately I have been feeling like, you know, maybe I didn't spend enough time with that game. Maybe I didn't really give it uh, my full attention back then. Other stuff was coming out. We had 3D Land around the same time, and uh, uh, Luigi's Mansion came out not too long after that, I think. So it just felt like, you know, I, th- I think I was hoping for a lot more from the Street Pass, and that didn't really pan out. I think they just didn't put enough thought into the Street Pass mode, and that might have 
increase the longevity of the of the play cycle on this game and it just didn't really quite happen the way we expected it to but uh, I never thought it was a bad game it just wasn't the most interesting so yeah I went back to it recently and cleaned up some of the Grand Prix stuff I unlocked all the characters I was a couple shy when I had left off before and uh, this might actually have been the last game that I bought on an actual game card so it's I actually still had the original save file so I could build upon that but uh, you know going back to it it's a very high quality game it's really impressive in a lot of ways I don't know that it has those deep hooks that make you that make it like really really hard to put down but it's very playable and it's very easy to jump back into and uh, it, it is definitely fun in short bursts it's just I, I haven't found that I really want to sit down and spend hours and hours and hours with it the way that some previous Mario Kart games have and it, it's the, the changes are pretty subtle from one game to the next in the series so I, I'm not even sure I could tell you why it is that I don't feel as compelled to keep returning to it. Maybe it's just I don't enjoy playing it on my 3DS as much as I would on a console. Um, that's something I'm going to be keeping in mind as I play through 8 pretty soon. But uh, it's certainly a good game, and if you haven't played it, if you love Mario Kart, I mean, there's nothing wrong with Mario Kart 7. It's a, it's a really good entry in the series, and, uh, you know, at least for the next uh, week or two, it's the prettiest game in the series. So there's, there's something to be said for that as well. I mean, the, the presentation is really nice. Yeah, I I don't know what it is about Mario Kart, but I I think I've lost I don't want to say I've lost interest in it or I, I still think of myself as a fan. It, it's just I bought Mario Kart Wii and I barely touched it. And part yeah. of it's because I don't really have anyone to play with and I'm not really interested in playing online. Um, but I used to play the single player a lot, you know, on, on Double mm-hmm. Dash and Mario Kart 64. I mean, I, I played it a lot, even single player. DS had pretty good single player as well. No, maybe I'm just not as patient with that stuff as I used to be. I, I don't, I don't think things like you know gone sour in this series with respect to the, well, you know, the formula. I think maybe it's just sort of overly familiar for me. So I, I kind of put it up there me. with Pokemon as it's like they're not really trying to. Uh, evolve the series uh, in any meaningful way over the long term. Really, I think Nintendo is very much content to create to continue creating new ones so that they get the marketing push and they get the awareness and they get the opportunity to introduce the series to new players sure. every time they put out a game. And the people who you know, either you can't get enough of this stuff and you always want the next one and you're just frothing at the mouth for it, even though you know it's going to be a lot of the same kinds of experiences you've already had, or you've had your fill and you're not going to buy anymore and that's okay because the market is large enough for the series that they don't need you. So I think if they lose people who are who would be more interested in kind of keeping it fresh, you know, those of us who've played five, six, seven other Mario Kart games maybe... Um, I, I think Nintendo feels like they've served us adequately and they don't really need to please us uh, with these new games. And that's not necessarily the attitude they take towards all of their franchises, but I do, I do think that's kind of maybe what's going on here with Mario Kart. It's much more important to them to create uh, a good a good value and an accessible entry uh, point with each new game in the series so that they don't... Um, turn away any potential people who think oh yeah Mario Kart I played that once a long time ago maybe I should buy a Wii U for it you know and and I think uh, if you already have a system they're just happy if you buy the game and I think with Mario Kart for a lot of us there is a sense that even if we're not that crazy about you know the new features and the new one we're gonna buy it because we want it's a staple it's like Smash Brothers it's you you want to have the new one because people are gonna come over and they're gonna want to play it and also because you're curious 
Well, and that, and that was one reason I wound up buying Mario Kart for Wii, but I wound up not really having people over that uh, <laughs> yeah, want to yeah. play it. So um, I might pick this one up because effectively I've skipped to um, generations of Mario Kart because I barely played the Wii game and uh, I didn't play 7 at all. Um, so I, I'm I'm eyeing it. You know, they got that uh, promotional thing going on where they'll uh, give you a coupon for... What is it like? Wind Waker HD, or it's like you can pick from Pikmin five 3. different games on Wii U. I think it's a fantastic deal. It's a lot better in Europe. I, I I was more interested when I saw the list for Europe, and then I realized it was hmm. for Europe because they got like ten games on there, including oh, wow. some third party ones. Like um, I want to say they have Monster Hunter Three okay. on there, and um, as well as the Sonic Lost World. So. Oh. I thought that's everyone's cup of tea. I'm just saying, you know, there was a huge list for you Europeans. You have to imagine there's probably a lot of crossover between Mario Kart fans and Sonic fans. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. In fact, I was actually thinking while we were listening to the last song, why isn't Sonic in Mario Kart? I mean, maybe they could add him as DLC or something now that they've done the Zelda DLC for Sonic Lost World. Maybe they could do Sonic DLC for Mario Kart 8 and bring him in with his, uh, his blue car transforming <laughs> thing from that other... Series. But that would require Nintendo acknowledge that that game exists and, and look at it and try to <laughs> use some of yeah. its innovations. It, it'll be included <laughs> with the patch that enables uh, multiplayer off-screen gamepad play, um, which was in that launch title for Wii U, and is so far it's not in Mario Kart 8. I think that's unbelievable. But um, yeah, anyway, I, you know, Mario Kart 7, it, it's, I feel like it's probably about to be Eclipse, and, and it looks like people generally like 8 better than 7, and so... You know, it, this might be the the waning days of that game really having much relevance in the franchise because if if everybody feels like the follow up is much better, then in the long run, Seven's going to be looked at as a misstep or just kind of an you know kind of a not that interesting entry in the series that had better days ahead of it. Um, but I, I think that's not really fair to it, and you know, it wasn't at the time it came out, but now you can download this game from the eShop, uh, which. You know, it may not be the most cost-effective way to uh, to go out and acquire it, but then it would be on your system all the time. And with a game like Mario Kart, it's something that you know you might want to uh, you know whip it out when you're around other people who might also have the game for whatever reason. I mean, it's a popular game, so a lot of people have a copy, and you can do some local multiplayer that way. So, yeah, you know, it's a nice thing to have on your system, and it's it's worth playing through. All right, well, we got to move on to the next. Yeah, game sorry, here. this is what I do. Just ramble. <laughs> That's okay. I'm not the one with the deadline. All right. Let's go on to the second selection.
It's kind of a sinister song there. Yeah, really. I feel like that's a song for uh, walking around in a dungeon or something, or just being in a really bad situation. Super happy, fun time. Yeah, that's much more typical of uh, this game's soundtrack overall. Uh, well, Johnny, this was your uh, selection, so why don't you read the, this question too? Okie doke. What kind of animal takes you up to the sky world and sometimes offers you a teleport to another world? Save the best for last, Mike. I don't know. I'm not sure any of those are really that great. Um, <laughs> well, it's certainly a matter not the of strongest. Taste, uh, not, nah, well, not the greatest I actually, uh, soundtrack I like the, in this series. Uh-uh. <laughs> I like the music in this game. Uh, it's Adventure Island 2, and part of why it's funny to me is that it, uh, other than that first song, which I'm is kind of uncharacteristic for this game, uh, but. Uh, the, the music is, is almost all like ridiculously upbeat and catchy, even though the game is brutally difficult and kind of unfair, I would argue, at certain points. Um, it's one of those games where I'm not sure how anyone really played it without save states, uh, but uh, thankfully I don't have to. So, uh, it is kind of fun though. I mean, Adventure Island 2 is a game that, to me, will appeal most strongly to people who are big fans of 2D Sonic. 
it's I've heard it compared to stuff like Bit Trip Runner, but that's not really fair because you can t you can totally stop moving whenever you want to, um, and you kind of uh, accelerate and decelerate, and you get different items that actually make you move at different paces. So a lot of the game really is about controlling your speed and your forward momentum, learning when to you know let your speed carry you through an obstacle or over an obstacle versus when you really need to kind of stop and take things a little more carefully uh, to get through a tough area. And the enemy placement is pretty nasty uh, when it comes to that stuff because they're definitely they're on the lookout for you to be taking maybe to be maybe to be playing the level at a certain speed. Um, and, the, and the enemies are placed in such a way that uh, they will get up in your face right at that moment when you need to jump. But you have to keep moving forward pretty fast because your uh, your character, Master Higgins, he apparently gets hungry really quickly. <laughs> There's this meter that just ticks downward, and when it's down, it, you know, he's dead. And it, it takes maybe 15 or 20 seconds and uh, if you don't get fruit to refill that bar. So the, the game really has a very quick pace where you're not forced to run forward, but, um, you know, they... They sort of lure you out to uh, to play the level maybe faster than you would like to, and that adds a lot of tension to the platforming. Well, everything you've said there sounds like it could equally apply to the Turbo Graphics game that I played mm -hmm. on the Wii Virtual Console, um, which is a really good game with a great soundtrack. But it sounds like it's pretty much the same, more of the same. I mean, yeah, I don't think any of these games are drastically different from each other. Um, not until you get into some of the weird uh, Monster World spin-offs, you know, that uh, they start to get farther and farther away from the, the original formula. But, um, you know, this is, it's not my favorite 2D platformer, but it's, it's quite a curiosity. And it's, uh, one reason I got it is because Adventure Island 2 is uh, only available on 3DS Virtual Console. It's never been released for Wii or Wii U Virtual Console. It's a game I hadn't played before, and I thought, well, that's kind of neat that they're you know, they're, uh, they're still releasing new games that have never been released before. That's kind of a nice anomaly these days. <laughs> Would you say that it's um, easier than the original? Because I, I, I got through, I'd say, most of the Graphics game before it got so brutally difficult that I just said, <laughs> you know what, I've, I've had enough. I, I got my yeah. value out of this purchase. Um, and I've never been able to really get very far in the original. It's always, every time I've given it a shot, I've been kind of pissed off at it. So Well, I know Guillaume talked about it on RFN, but uh, the original Adventure Island on NES was, I think, a bad port, maybe, of the TG-16 or the, was, I don't know if there was a Master System or an arcade version, but it, it was like, kind of got framey and like, had slowdown and the just the controls were all kind of messed up. So... I think Adventure Island 2 is more polished. It feels more like a normal, playable video game, maybe, than the first one. Um, and it is definitely possible to make progress. But again, you know, I, to me, this is the kind of game for someone who's not shy about using save states. You know, just if you're gonna really try to play this the authentic way, I think you're gonna be very frustrated with it. It's just a completely, ridiculously brutal game. And I don't know that it's fun enough to really make you want to keep playing despite that uh, irritation and that, that level of challenge. Where for me, it's, it has nice art, it has cool music, I think, and some of the level designs are cool. So for me, it's more about, I'm interested in just seeing all the content. So I'm willing to cheat a little bit just to keep on moving through it. And I'm still, I still have to beat everything at least once, so I'm not cheating that much. But I'm kind of taking the whole lives and continues thing out of the equation, and I'm okay with that. 
Yeah, that sounds very similar to how I wound up recently playing Mystical Ninja for Super Nintendo, where there's really cool stuff in there, but it, it gets kind of cruel with the boss battles, and so yeah, yeah. I wound up just doing a save stick right before a boss battle and, and uh, going from there. So yeah. it sounds like it's kind of something along those lines would... Mm-hmm. Hey, I, I think for five bucks, if you're if you're interested in the Adventure Island slash Monster World weirdness, um, or if you just want kind of a fast-paced uh, 2D platformer, it's definitely worth checking out. You know, it's an unusual game. All right. Well, we're going to go on. Oh, we oh, didn't answer by the, the way, question. Yeah, the bonus question. That's a pterodactyl. I think he actually has a crown on his head. He's some kind of magical royal uh, pterodactyl. Who you, <laughs> You'll sometimes uh, find a little cloud thing that will raise you up to him and then uh, either he will dump you out in a special area or he will uh, offer to teleport you to the next world which lets you just you just skip a whole world it's like a warp whistle in Mario 3 was there a pterodactyl in Pee Wee Herman's playhouse <laughs> yes Terry Terry was he a prince no, I don't think so okay well maybe maybe yeah Huh. <laughs> Your conspiracy theory. Uh, I can't shoot it down entirely. Okay. All right. I'll, I, it's very unlikely that a Japanese-developed game would <laughs> yeah, be yes. referencing Pee-wee's Playhouse, but <laughs> one can it, dream. It's actually a real shame we never got a, a, a Pee-wee's Playhouse game for NES. Crowdfund it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it's not too late. <laughs>
<clears throat> high That's, energy. Yeah, that is very high energy. <laughs> Well, so this is a request, uh, and I really don't know what it is. I'm kind of stumped, actually. Well, um, we're going to calm things down. Oh, good. But um, first, uh, here's your question. Which googly-eyed enemy can be found in the mines? Thank you. 
Holy crap. Johnny, what game is this? Come on. Are you sure that's those were all three from the same game? <laughs> yes, they are. Yes. Yeah. Uh, wow. So, um, geez, I, I, just, I <clears throat> so there's something. I mean, I recognize the melody from the third song. I just can't quite place it, but it sounds like the moon theme from Ducktales. But I. So what, what game is this, Johnny? This must be Ducktales remastered. But I have never heard that <laughs> piano arrangement before. Uh, well, maybe you just didn't listen to the credits. Um, that that was in the credits of this game. This is DuckTales wow. Remastered. Um, I must have had, like, my... I must have been listening to a podcast or something when I beat it. Because yeah. I would remember that. That was fantastic. <laughs> that was, of course, uh, Jake Kaufman's uh, uh, piano version of the Moon song from DuckTales. Which is... Was... Just, it's, it's funny, because I really don't like the remix of that song in the actual level. I agree. I yeah, I, I actually prefer to play with the original music when I'm playing the moon level. Yeah, but uh, that song, you know, like, okay, well, he gave us that instead. Great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. They should play so, that while you're playing the level, although <laughs> yeah. it, would, it would be really discongruous, but still, like, it would be, I mean, the arrangement is, the rearrangement that you actually hear when you play the game is, is okay, but it was never going to, to compare to the original. Yeah. You know, maybe the greatest piece of 8-bit video game music ever. And I think it speaks to just how um, shockingly different this piano arrangement is, that it took me actually pretty deep into the song before I could really... You know, I, I recognize the melody right away, but it sounds so different when it's played in the, on the piano like this um, that uh, it didn't immediately click with me. Oh, yeah, that's the Moon song. Yeah. It was pretty late in the process, um, I mean, but I was enjoying it the entire time. Well, uh, yeah, I, I kind of went from left field here, in part because of uh, the listener's request, uh, Stuart Falks, also known as Disco Stew in the forums. He, he wanted us to push the uh, uh, the newer songs, the ones that were for the new levels, mm-hmm. which I, I think is fair. I mean, we've already used DuckTales um, for the NES. Well, yeah, of course Probably yeah. also for Game Boy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so the first song was from the uh, Money Bin like tutorial level. Which I believe was new, uh, and then yes, the last song is from the right. Mount Vesuvius level, which was also uh, a new addition. Right. Yeah, the Vesuvius level is really fun to play, um, but uh, I, I wouldn't say either of those songs are incredibly memorable. Um, oh, I, I, mean, I certainly... like the Vesuvius song. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, no, they're both fine. I mean, they they blend in well together with the other music that's uh, you know that that was remixed for the game, but um, I don't know that they stand out as being. You know, a lot better. Sure. No, but again, we've already used a lot of the Ducktales songs. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, so. it's a good way to choose the songs. I mean, I certainly didn't recognize. I played through that game, but again, you know, I the the music itself didn't embed itself into me so much. I actually enjoyed. I played through part of the game twice uh, with the classic eight bit music, and uh, that was kind of fun. Yeah, I actually played it a, a couple hours ago just to refresh my memory on this. Um, this was the first time I had played DuckTales, to be honest. Uh, was, oh, you never was played the remaster. No, uh, a friend of mine or a neighbor of mine had the game, and I watched him play it a little, but I didn't really get it, and I never really played it. So, Well, i got to tell you, I, it's a very faithful remake. I know that they, they changed a few things in the level designs, I'd say mostly for the better, 
but uh, playing remastered feels exactly like playing the original. Well, and that just goes to show how well this game holds up, because I thought it was a fantastic game when I played through it. And um, I'm like, great, I finally play what people have talked about for all this time, and yeah. uh, why the hell it did really, it take me this long? They really didn't mess with the physics, they didn't mess with the controls, and, well, there's a couple options, but, you know, fundamentally the controls are the same. They've always been a little weird, a little finicky, especially when you, like, pogo onto the edge of a step. Um, you know, you, you kind of figure out some of those idiosyncrasies after you play for a while. And the, the game, I, I think it has a pretty high learning curve, but when you get over that, you really feel like you have a certain mastery over the, the flow of the level and the, and the flow of play. And uh, it's very empowering, and the moon is especially because you might think maybe that's a little bit intimidating as a first level, so maybe you don't play it until towards the end of the game, because it's Mega Man style, you can choose the levels. But for me, I would usually save the moon to the end, because that was kind of my reward for playing through all the other levels first. And, uh, and there's also something, the music there is so victorious, but also the level design, it requires, I think, a, a different level of mastery than some of the other ones. It's and, a lot more uh, vertical. Yes, yes. Yeah, but it's a, it's a superb game. You know, whether, whether you go dig out an old NES cartridge uh, or just download Remastered for 10 or 15 bucks, or even go, I think you can go buy it on a disc now, weirdly enough. But uh, DuckTales uh, is just is awesome, and it's, it's no less awesome, maybe a little more awesome now that they've uh, spruced up the graphics and everything. I mean, you might want to skip the cutscenes, but uh, oh, yeah. you won't be missing there is much an option. there. There is an option to change them that I think they added, but you might have to... Um, beat the game on in order to turn that on. I didn't notice that until I, you know, I, I couldn't find out where the classic music was. I, you have to back out all the way to the main music to turn on the, the classic mm-hmm. soundtrack, which took me a while to figure out. And that's also where apparently they patched in this option to uh, turn off the cutscenes or, or at least um, shorten them significantly. Shorten them? Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, that, that was a miss. They, they really should have. Um, had the conversations going on while you're playing the game. Yes, absolutely. They shouldn't make you stop and just read this text. But um, I'll say I think you should at least hear all the rearrangements at least once while you're playing um, because they're good. But uh, I certainly wouldn't blame you for wanting to, you know, if you, especially if you've never played the game before, you flip it back to the 8-bit and you end up kind of keeping it there. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me because there is a certain catchiness and zeal to the original uh, 8-bit compositions that is really hard to beat, even with the very good remixes. Yeah, so it's a good game. Uh, some of the design decisions are kind of interesting. Um, yeah, the whole back, it's a, it's kind of back, the backtrack game. to collect the ju- gems is yeah. takes a while to get used to, but it, it, it kind of works. Um, it's a weird game, but that's also why people remember it and they, yeah. they love it. Yep. Well, there we go, Johnny. Uh, that. You know, Disco Stu requested that pretty recently, and when you came on the show, I'm like, okay, we gotta use this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. I'm a big DuckTales fan. The movie is great, too. Alright, we're gonna move on to the next game, which Johnny did not select, so I, he's in the dark here. Oh boy.
night. Very epic. Yeah, that I like that song. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we forgot to uh, say something about the bonus question on uh, DuckTales. Oh, yeah. Um, what was the question? Yeah, so, so my crappy question for uh, DuckTales was, which googly-eyed enemy can be oh, found man. in the mines? The mines being the African mines. Um, do you remember the particular baddie I'm, t- I'm referring to? You mean the uh, the sort of gnome king who's the boss? Those no, guys kind of have googly eyes. I, I was thinking of the slug. Um, mm. That slug, which I thought was really incongruous. I, that, that's why I actually... It just kind of uh, stuck out. From to the, me, it really stuck out. It didn't look like it belonged in that game. Or if it did, maybe in the moon level. Um, in fact, when I first saw it, like, why are they showing some alien on this loading screen for the mines? And yeah, <laughs> well, that whole that whole level has some weird tone issues because the the boss that I mentioned, the Gnome King, there's a lot of voice acting with that guy and his followers, yeah. and it's all like really, really childish humor to an extent that I found pretty grating and and really a little more immature than than most of the game. Yeah. Um, and and that that was really one of the moments when I thought, you know, this game might have been a little better when these characters didn't really talk, at least didn't talk out loud. Um, you know, but he's one of those characters who wouldn't have a recognizable voice from the TV show because I don't think he was ever in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, they create it from scratch, but they sort of do it. I think it's kind of an Ed Wynn style, you know, it's like yeah. extremely over the top and goofy. Um, and uh, it, it's just kind of i don't know i didn't really care for that boss battle it's also a little bit of annoying boss battle it but, is uh, yeah I, I played it today it's an annoying yeah. boss battle <laughs> yeah but most of that game is so great all right on to the second song
Hand clap party. <laughs> Is that a backhanded compliment or something? No, it's just funny. It's a funny element that you find in a lot of different kinds of music, people clapping their hands. It's the instrument that almost all of us have. <laughs> I suppose so. That and uh, whistling, but a lot of people, there's whistling in that song too. A lot of people can't whistle, but everybody can clap their hands. Well, here's your question. Mm-hmm. What benefit is bestowed upon you if you earn the badge in this game? The badge? There's only one badge that I am aware of in this game. Huh. To sleep, little Mikey. <laughs> there is uh, such a richness to um, the instrumentation in this soundtrack that I, I really, I really appreciated um, when I played this game. Uh, Johnny, do you know what, what game this is? Of course, well, it of course, it's Link Between Worlds, yeah. Legend of Zelda. I'm actually amazed that uh, that game's been out for six months and we're only just now using it for Radio Trivia. It, it has been um, booted off the list due to other games that were maybe more unique, hmm. uniquely suited to the people on. Um, yeah, yeah. I've been meaning to use this for maybe four months. Well, I'm, I'm honored that uh, I got the opportunity to be on here when you did. It was my game of the year of 2013, and... Uh, you know, easily my soundtrack of the past five years, probably from Nintendo. Um, it's just amazing stuff. And, and it's mostly familiar music. 
from a game that already had a superb soundtrack. And, you know, this is this is really telling the difference between, uh, you know, the way something like DuckTales Remastered is, where they've taken very beloved music. They've tried to modernize it while retaining the original elements, but it ends up really feeling like the, the rearrangements don't really add anything mm-hmm. to the original compositions. Um and Link Between Worlds, it really these really do feel like the new sort of definitive versions of these songs because they've take they're very faithful recreations in a lot of cases. They've just done it. it they've made this music sound like the people back, you know, for Link to the Past back in '92 probably wish they could have made that music sound like back yeah. then. And they've done it with mostly acoustic instruments that really do kind of fit the world that this game takes place in. It feels kind of in some cases medieval or at least sort of old fashioned. It feels natural. It feels like something that simple people would be able to play. Uh, It's not, it's not like over orchestrated or anything. There's a lot of like duos and trios in this music. It's someone playing a fiddle and someone playing a guitar or a piano. Yeah. Or a pan flute or yeah. Or a horn. Yeah. Trumpet or something. It's very simple instruments. Um, but they're they're real instruments and they sound real, right? And it lends a very, like I said, a, a richness and sweetness. That even when you have like a broad orchestrated soundtrack, like um, like you would find in like Mario Galaxy, which they do have songs that are more like that in this oh, game yeah. too. But yeah, yeah. when it's a smaller arrangement like that, um, you can really focus on the individual instrument and, and kind of the, the you know the subtle ways in which they play the, the notes that lends a lot of meaning to it right a lot of emotion there's, there's so much richness in you know the way that these notes resonate and because the song is you know especially that third song it is so spare they give the notes room to breathe and you can really hear the reverberations and the echoes and the way you know someone's fingers slide across the strings on the guitar um, and the way that you know one note blends into the next, or you have overtones from the violin that typically you don't get when you're using MIDI sounds or something like that, or even if you if you are you know using live instruments, but you just have so many packed into the song that you can't hear all these subtleties. Uh, it's really amazing stuff, and, and the attention to detail is you know pretty glorious. Uh, yep. But it's no surprise coming from the Zelda series; they're all about the attention to detail, and and these decisions are made very thoughtfully. I think. But that's just it, Johnny. That's just it. This game is such a stark contrast to some of the other more recent Zelda soundtracks. And and this is really a return to form because when you look at Phantom Hourglass, I think I've been a pretty vocal dissenting voice in that game, especially the soundtrack, because it it just... They had one song for, like, all the dungeons. Oh, yeah. And um, it wasn't really a very good song. There really weren't that many memorable songs at all in that game. And a game like um, Skyward Sword, which did have orchestrated music and did have a richness to the sound, didn't have memorable songs for the most part. There, there were a few. Right. I, I feel like with the console games, especially the last two, Twilight Princess and Skyward Sword, they've been very influenced by the Lord of the Rings movies from you know the early part of the 2000s. And they really have tried to go after that sort of big orchestral, you know, vaguely Gaelic sort of, uh, sort of sound. And... It, it always sounds nice, but it sounds like other stuff you've heard. It doesn't really sound like Zelda very often, except maybe when they bring in, you know, they, they sort of sample the melodies from classic songs. But the, but the production of it all feels very cinematic and impressive, but not very distinguished and, uh, and not very Zelda. And the wonderful thing about Link Between Worlds is that they go back to this classic music 
and they make it really different than you remember. But it is very, very Zelda, and they do it in a way that really other games and even movies don't sound like the soundtrack to this game. I mean, it really is a special, very special soundtrack. Yeah. And even the songs that are newly composed for this game are, are pretty good. Like that oh, yeah. first song, um, and that was brand new. That's from the last dungeon where they, they actually build on it, so there are like five or six versions of it. Mm-hmm. But um, that's one of the earlier ones. I thought it was a little simpler, and I, I like that version more than when they have every everything in the kitchen sink thrown into the that song. I don't um, envy you for having to pick three songs out of the soundtrack for this game. It, oh, it's yeah. uh, one of the best soundtracks Nintendo has ever made. And I you know, I think the game is superb underneath it too, but the soundtrack is a huge part of it. And it is one of those those handheld games where you really have to warn people, make sure you play with headphones because even if you are listening to the music through the speakers, you're going to miss a lot. And if you're the kind of person who plays on the train while you're listening to a podcast or you put it on mute and play while you're watching TV, you're not going to have nearly as good of an experience as someone who really just... And these games are complicated. I mean, you really should be paying attention to them anyway. So you might as well plug in headphones and and really give the music the attention it deserves. It will uh, greatly enrich the experience. Yep. And be sure to check out The Milk Bar. Um, If you haven't uh, checked that out, there are some renditions of some of these songs you may not have heard yet. Oh, yeah, there's the kind of uh, uh, K.K. Ryder or whatever the guy's name is. Uh, yeah. In, in, I mean, he's not the same character, but the same idea is you go into the, the milk bar and you can pay the guy 10 rupees or something like that. And he'll play all these different songs from Zelda, but he but they're playing them just on the guitar and violin, right? Like the third song we heard. Uh, I think and, they also uh, have a flute, but it's usually like a duet. Maybe, you know, maybe they're going for two musicians and you know they each play right. maybe two or three different instruments. Well, the point being, these are songs that you probably otherwise won't hear in the game. And they're really beautiful and, and lovingly recorded. And uh, if you don't bother to go in there and, and, you know, you can keep doing it and you'll get different songs every time. And uh, it's really worth going in there and, and listening to that stuff. And, hey, you know, get them to start playing the song and then set the 3DS down and, you know, work on something else for a few minutes while you just uh, enjoy that music. But, yeah, this is a game that, uh, you know, I, I would be interested in getting a soundtrack for this some kind of official release uh, Club Nintendo giveaway or something like that. Yeah, I don't know if there has been an official release. I, bl- I believe what I have here is, uh, you know, recorded straight from the you know the system, but I- I'm not mm-hmm. positive. Yeah. It's awesome stuff. Go check it out. Uh, well, we never answered the bonus question, so before we go, we should probably uh, answer that. Uh, the question was about a particular badge, the uh, only badge, actually, that you can find in the game, as far as I'm aware. Uh, and uh, that is the bee badge. If you get a golden bee uh, and you bring that to the beekeeper, that uh, or the, the bee person, uh, kind of a weird guy, but the guy that dresses like a bee in Kakariku Village, uh, he'll give you the bee badge, and that'll make um, the bees that you encounter in the overworld your friends. So instead of attacking you when uh, you know you. Sp- slash a bush and one appears it'll actually fly alongside you and go out and destroy enemies and i think you can catch it in uh with your net and put in a bottle just like in the original uh link to the past so you know it's a fun little feature um that you may not uh uh, stumble upon unless uh you um, work for it okay well we have one last game here and it's a doozy (laughs) <laughs> I think I've used that phrase recently. I should say something else. It is a thing. <laughs> yeah, much better. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that song in particular, and probably a lot of the music in this game that I've heard, sort of reminds me of uh, Ren and Stimpy. Yeah. Um, some kind of like weird, kind of vaguely trippy, tropical odd- oddness that you might have heard on some 90s cartoons. And uh, I think that fits the style of the game. That song also reminds me of uh, Doshin the Giant, which may not be that surprising. Um, oh, man. It's a fairly trippy game. I, yeah, I played that... the Japanese GameCube game, and it that could have been out of there. <laughs> Doshin the Giant is definitely a case where the music is better than the actual gameplay. <laughs> oh, I definitely agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Exactly what you were talking about. Yeah, it's, I mean, this is kind of like Dixieland jazz, you know, like really old school, um, you know, very upbeat. It's a little odd now when you hear some of the weird uh, trumpet and clarinet sounds going on here. Um, they're very specific to that era, but uh, it's it's kind of fun music and it makes you feel like you're out on the town. 
It does, um, yeah. And, and anything could happen. And that's, you know, that's a good description for this game. Johnny, why don't you read the bonus question for this game? Okay, this is a really weird bonus question, uh, but I like it. So here's the question. Who sings the song you are about to hear? way they made their voices sound like that is the end is they process the vocals through one of those uh, Hammond spinners, you know, that they usually attach to organs to make the sound kind of oscillate. It makes it sound like you're singing underwater. I've heard a, I've heard that thing used in a lot of different contexts and concerts, but obviously that was a real band and <laughs> a licensed song uh, by uh, Kenny Rogers in the first edition. 
it's uh, just dropped in to see what my condition, my condition is in. Kind of weird to say. But uh, that is the theme song and the closing credit song to Stick It to the Man out on Wii U and other consoles. Now, is that song, um, part of my ignorance, is that song indicative of other Kenny Rogers songs? Because I thought it was more of a folksy uh, (laughs) country singer. So the answer to your question is not exactly. Um, That was very early in his career. He was involved with a number of country and rock bands. And uh, he had kind of a few years of prominence uh, with this band, The First Edition, which is kind of what propelled him to uh, his solo stardom. And uh, they they did, uh, I think they did do some kind of more traditional country songs, but they also, you know, dipped into acid rock, and this was a big hit for them. Um, and you know me, Mike, I'm a big fan of like late 60s, early 70s acid rock. And, uh, you know, I really like the song. It's never one I've listened to a ton, but it's, uh, it's a good portion of it is used in my favorite movie ever, The Big Lebowski, for a, a really weird... Uh, dream sequence that the main character has and that's where I first heard this song and then I later found out that was Kenny Rogers I was like really because uh, yeah I mean most of his career is sort of you know weepy somewhat corny country songs um, you know maybe a couple of uh, collaborations here and there but he uh, you know went on to become incredibly popular incredibly famous he has his own uh, chicken restaurant chain and has been on TV a lot lately um, has had a ton of plastic surgery, so he now looks kind of like a geriatric, creepy Ken doll. Um, his face is all like pulled tight and really weird looking. But uh, freaking Kenny Rogers, man, he's now uh, a video game star as well. <laughs> so, so about, about I, the game itself, um, what, I know you talked about this some on uh, RFN fairly recently, but uh, yeah, yeah. So this is. Uh, Mostly, uh, I'll just point you over there because James has played the entire game. I've played maybe a, a third of it, I would guess, um, and and I probably will go back to it. But it's mostly a comedy game. There's not that much game to it, really. It's not very difficult. It's uh, it's kind of a, an old school PC adventure game in the sense that you're just going from one character to another, and you're sort of solving miniature puzzles by grabbing items and giving. I- it's a lot of inventory management, talking to people and. Most of the game is really just listening to their funny voices and uh, and reading the somewhat amusing writing and uh, trying to solve these little riddles that you're essentially presented with. And, um, you know, it's not the most interesting game. I do think the style of it is really odd. It's very much influenced by Paper Mario. Uh, everything in the, in the world is sort of made out of these sort of shiny uh, stickers, and um, including your main character. And you sort of... Uh, it's fun to see how they handle, you know, portraying different parts of this world in that style. But it's not a world that you're familiar with, and so it's not like in Mario where it's kind of funny to see how they handle, you know, a shy guy as a piece of paper because you already know what a shy guy looks like. And so it's funny, you know, since Stick It to the Man, it's an original game, so they can kind of do whatever they want with it. But it is interesting to look at. The music, is, as you can hear, is is odd and frequently kind of hallucinatory I would say and the, and the whole game has sort of that vibe to it it's it's not uh, even remotely trying to tell a realistic story or have realistic characters it's very kind of you know bizarro and uh, the soundtrack fits that pretty well and I think the theme song you know it's a it's a well-known licensed song but it, it actually does suit the style of the game very well and it's such a shocking moment when you turn the game on and you hear this on the title screen 
I couldn't believe I wasn't expecting it at all. And, and I downloaded the game. On, I actually played it on PS4. But I downloaded it, and uh, and I ended up, I was eating dinner at the time. I ended up leaving it on the title screen for probably 15 minutes and listened <laughs> to the song two or three times all the way through. I just, I think it's a great song, and it it really made me wonder, what is this game? How is this game going to live up to this audacious introduction? And I don't think it completely does, but um, I, I do. I really do think the song is like a nice kind of uh, prelude to the weirdness that you're that you're getting into when you play this game. Um, well, it's what fifteen bucks on the eShop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. It's on Wii U. Um, James has, has said that he thinks that's a pretty good version. So, yeah, I would say you know if you're into Psychonauts, if you're into um, Sam and Max or uh, uh, Monkey Island stuff. You know, you might want to check it out. Very cool. Well, uh, we probably should wrap things up here, Johnny. Uh, sure. Thank you very much. Before we go, um, is there anything you'd like to plug? Uh, sure. I would like to plug um, my uh, podcast, Discover Music Project, which you've been on, and I hope you'll be on again soon. Um, I recently did an episode with uh, Carl Castaneda, and we went through the music, at least a little a little portion of it, of uh, The Great Otis Redding, and it's one of my favorite episodes we've ever done, and uh, I think you'll really, you'll learn a lot, and you'll really enjoy it. It's, uh, it's very fun, interesting music, very powerful emotionally, um, lots, a lot of stuff to, to laugh and, uh, to, and to kind of be amused by as well. Some of, some of the ideas of the songs are pretty antiquated, but... Uh, it is really glorious, uh, you know, classic 60s soul music, and uh, and uh, it, it's worth diving into deep. And uh, I'm going to be doing more episodes of that throughout the summer. I've got a few things juggling in the air right now, but uh, it had been a while since I'd done a normal episode of DMP, so it felt really good to jump back into it, and especially to do it with uh, such a great artist as Otis Redding. Very cool. You can check that yeah. out at crosstalk.com with the W. That's right. Or you can just uh, search for it on iTunes. You can search uh, Crosstalk or you can search Discover Music Project. You'll find it either way. Very cool. Well, thank you, Johnny, for co-hosting and uh, for sharing your thoughts on uh, on some of these games. Wow. I'm, <laughs> my brain is gone. You're very welcome, uh, <laughs> Michael. <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for doing the show. And uh, as always, I look forward to hearing it. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.
Mario Kart 7 is copyright 2011 Nintendo. Adventure Island 2 is copyright 1991 Hudson Soft. DuckTales Remastered is copyright 1989-2013 Disney. The Legend of Zelda A Link Between Worlds is copyright 2013 Nintendo. Stick It to the Man is copyright 2013-2014 Zoink Ripstone Games. All other songs are copyright their respective owners.